Hey church, before we dive into our passage today, I just want to let you know about what we're doing after the services. After the services, both the 9am and the 6pm, I'll be running a Zoom meeting for all of us to jump online to. Zoom is basically a tool that helps people to chat online, and it's the closest thing that we can get to meeting face-to-face right now. People in our church have been telling me the last few weeks how they're missing the, the time of fellowship, the conversations, the companionship that we have after a service when we physically gather. So I thought, why don't we try Zoom? So whether it's your first time today or your 500th time gathering with us, you are so welcome to join me online on Zoom after the service. The link that you need to join is available in the email that I sent to you earlier this week, or you can jump onto Facebook. It'll be posted on Facebook just before each of the services ends, and it's available on sermon.net if you're streaming through that platform. So why don't you jump online, give it a try with me, and let's just uh, spend some time with each other after the services. But right now, I'm going to read the Bible passage that we're looking at today. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open up the Word together. So let me read the passage to you. It's from Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. This is what it says. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when He had come as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you are with us, that Holy Spirit, you are present with all of us right now, wherever we are meeting online. And and Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, that you would have your way in us as we meet together this Sunday. Lord, we bless your name. Please lead us to yourself. Please transform us and renew us and have your way among us. In your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of this message today is called Living Empty Lives. Living Empty Lives. Now, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek with that one because I realize that our culture does not want to listen to a message like that. Our culture tells us to pursue a full life, a life of health and wealth, a life full of holidays, new clothes, and self-ambition. We're surrounded by this message from a very young age. A preacher called Scott Dudley told a story about how his six-year-old daughter came home from school, and, and she showed him the story that she wrote for Martin Luther King Day, and it was called, I Have a Dream. And it said, my dream is that everyone would love each other and get along. Scott and his wife replied, ah, what a nice story, Holly. Then she said, yeah, but that's not my real dream. My real dream is that I'd be a princess and that everyone would do what I want. Now, maybe you're not quite as honest as six-year-old Holly, 
But maybe if you took the time to reflect, you would see that you've bought into the same cultural story, a story that tells you to put yourself first, to pursue your dreams, to live a, a, a full life, a life of health and wealth and prosperity. But maybe you're listening to this and with everything that's going on right now, you feel ripped off by life. Maybe you're feeling anxious about the future. Maybe you're feeling worried about your family. This pandemic is, has put your health at risk. Maybe you've had to cancel holidays. Maybe your livelihood is risk. Maybe you've already lost your job and you're listening to this right now. I don't know what your situation is, but we as a church just want to let you guys know that we love you. We've been praying for you and we're here for you. Please reach out and let us know if there's anything that's going on. We together as the church can come around each other in a moment such as this to help and to support and to love each other. So please don't suffer alone. But my point is about pointing out how our culture thinks is that while they tell us a story we might like to hear, we like to think about health and wealth and security for our family, for example. Have you ever thought that perhaps it's the wrong story? Have you ever considered that the story our culture tells us could actually be the source of all of our disappointments and worries and unhappiness? No one wants to hear a message about living empty lives. And I haven't even explained to you what I mean by that yet. But I want to contend that that's the kind of life Jesus lived. And he actually tells us the real story. In his example of self-emptying, he actually shows us the true and reliable path to fulfillment and joy and security. And my prayer for you, whether you are a Christian or not, is that you would see that this is God's path, the true and reliable path to abundant life in Jesus. And my prayer is also that you would see that Jesus' way of life cannot be threatened by anything, not even a pandemic like this. Now, as you heard earlier in, in the Christian calendar, today is what we call Palm Sunday. Today we think back on Jesus' life. And Palm Sunday marks out the day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem and crowds of Jewish people celebrated and waved palm branches. It's one of the most memorable and iconic moments in Jesus' life. People were lining the streets, waving palm branches, praising Him, saying, Hosanna. But while it's one of the most iconic, it's also one of the most ironic. The Jewish crowds were waving palm leaves, thinking that Jesus was going to be their military hero, that He was going to be the King to lead them out of Roman oppression into their glory days as a nation. But Jesus deliberately chose to ride on a donkey, a humble animal, to signal to the crowds that their expectations were out of whack. Jesus was the Messiah, but He wasn't the military Messiah that they had hoped for. Come Good Friday, He would be a crucified Messiah. You see, Jesus entered into this world not as a military mastermind, but as a humble, suffering servant. That's why we're going to spend some time meditating on Philippians 2 verses 5 to 11 today. Because this passage highlights and underlines the humble servanthood 
of Jesus. And it also explains to us what I actually mean by living an empty life. Paul, the writer of this letter to Philippians, tells us four things in these verses. He tells us what we should do, why we can do it, why we should do it, and why we must do it. What we should do, why we can do it, why we should do it, and why we must do it. All right, first of all, what should we do? Paul says to the Philippian Christians, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Paul tells us to develop the same attitude and take on the mindset that Jesus had. So what was his attitude? Well, verses 6 to 8 spell it out for us. Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. These verses tell us about the humility, the servanthood, the self-emptying of Jesus. And we can't really talk about these verses without acknowledging the mystery of the Trinity. God is triune, three persons in one God. And in these verses, we see that the second person of the Trinity, the Son, Jesus, did not exploit His divine privileges. Being God, He was able to do anything. And what did He choose to do with all of that power? He chose to become a servant to His creatures. Literally, the Greek word used there in verse 7 means slave. God chose to become a slave. Jesus chose to become a slave. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So Paul says, do likewise. Develop that attitude. Take up that kind of mindset a mindset of humility, a mindset of servanthood. And that's why Paul said a couple of verses earlier, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, pride, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, living an empty life doesn't mean to live a hollow and unfulfilled life. Living an empty life means emptying yourself of your privileges for the sake of others. It means using whatever privileges you have to serve others. It means to treat them as more significant than yourself. And I honestly cannot think of better instructions for our world right now than these. In fact, this is exactly how the Christians of the past helped their world during times of pandemics and plagues. There was a terrible plague called the Plague of Cyprian. It was named after Cyprian because he wrote so much about it. And this is what John Horgan says about this plague in the Ancient History Encyclopedia. He says, It erupted in Ethiopia around Easter of 250 AD. It reached Rome in the following year, eventually spreading to Greece and further east to Syria. The plague lasted nearly 20 years and, at its height, reportedly killed as many as 5,000 people per day in Rome. Cyprian, 
the Bishop of Carthage, remarked that it appeared as if the world was at an end. But listen to how the early Christians responded. Another Christian leader from that time, a guy called Dionysius, wrote this. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another, nursing and curing others. Now, I'm not at all trying to hint that we should be breaking social distancing measures. All I'm trying to say is look at the self-emptying of these Christians. They gave up their right to flee, to get away from all the sickness and disease in order to stay behind and serve as many people as they could. They had the same attitude and mindset of Jesus. And today, with the insights that we have from scientific research, we know a lot more about how diseases spread. So one of the most loving things we can do is to physically distance ourselves to protect other people who, who could catch something that we don't even know that we're carrying. But that's not all we can do. In the age of smartphones, the internet, and social media, we have so many opportunities to care for others while maintaining our physical distance. You can start up a Facebook group with the neighbors on your street. Start up a Facebook group, and you can check in with each other and share needs and requests with one another. One of the ideas that our members, one of our members uh, forwarded to us earlier um, was to put a note, a printed note, and uh, to write your name on it and to put it in your neighbor's letterboxes. And it, basically, it lets them know that you're available to perform errands for them if they're vulnerable or in need. It's a really fantastic little resource. And we've actually put that onto our Church Online webpage. If you head to the Church Online webpage and you go to the Resources for Families button, it'll be located in there. So I encourage you to, to, go, on, to, to go in there and to download that and print that and use that for your neighbors. Kids, you heard from Caroline before that you can write messages of hope on your driveway with chalk, or, or you can ring up your grandparents to check in on them and see how they're doing. There are so many things that we can do, and I encourage you to do these things, church. These are the kinds of things we should be doing, because these are the kinds of things that flow out from people who want to cultivate an attitude like Jesus, an attitude of self-emptying and servanthood. But I myself have to admit, I don't always do what I should be doing. Often just knowing what you need to do is not enough. We may be motivated for a moment, but how many good plans do we need to fail to put into practice before we realize that there is a deeper issue stopping us from doing the right thing? We don't just need to be better educated about what's right and wrong. We need a change of heart. We need a change in the very core of our being. Because the Bible tells us that apart from the work of Jesus, we are hopelessly self-centered. Not other-centered, self-centered. And this self-centeredness flows out from what the Bible calls sin, which is this desire within us to run our own lives and serve ourselves rather than love God and serve others. Now, the good news is that God has dealt with that self-centered mindset because He has dealt with sin. And this leads us to the second point that Paul makes in our passage. He tells us why we can do it. We've looked at what we should do. Now we're looking at why we can do it. 
We discover this in the second half of verse 5, and the ESV translates this verse well, so I'll read from there. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul loves to use that phrase, in Christ Jesus. He uses it throughout all of his letters to talk about the new reality that we are in as believers. When we put our faith in Jesus, something mysterious happens. God unites us to Jesus. Let me explain it this way. I'm going to use this Bible and this piece of paper to represent this. So let's just say that this Bible represents Jesus and this paper represents us. When we put our faith in Jesus, God unites us to Him so that it's as if we become one with Him. And so now that this paper and this Bible are united, if, if it's burnt or if it's wet, the paper gets wet along with the Bible. The paper gets burnt along with the Bible. And the same thing is true of us. When we put our faith in Jesus, God unites us to Him. And what happened to Him is also true of us. If you go and read Romans 6, you'll, talk about what Paul, you'll hear about what Paul talks about about us being in Christ Jesus. He talks about that because we're in Christ Jesus, we actually, our old sin-controlled, selfish selves died with Him on the cross. We were buried with Him. And we were actually raised to life with Him, given a, given a new identity and filled with the Spirit of Jesus, the servant-hearted, self-emptying Spirit of Jesus. That's what happens when we put our faith in Him. And this is why when Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition in verse 3, before that he actually said, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit. If there is any fellowship with the Spirit. So in other words, he said, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if you are in Christ Jesus, cultivate the same attitude as Him. Adopt His mindset because He lives in you. His Spirit is with you. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can transform the way we think and act. So I'm not saying that we can reach perfection. Just read Romans 7 if you want to get that straight. But God has brought about a fundamental change in our lives through the work of Jesus and the presence of His Spirit in us. This is why we can do it. Next, Paul tells us why we should do it why we should want to do it? The short answer is, we should develop a servant's attitude because the one who no one would have expected to stoop down to the level of a servant did. And even though he didn't have to, he did it for you. Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled and keyboards worn out talking about what it means when Jesus emptied himself. And it's best for us not to get too speculative here and just stick to the text, which says he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Jesus' self-emptying then is not so much that he got rid of certain divine attributes, but rather that he chose to be a servant. Jesus shows a 
shows us what it looks like to live an empty life because he used his privileges to serve others and treated their well-being as more significant than his own. Now that's astounding. The second person of the Trinity took on the role of a slave. He took on that role to save you and me. But he not only lived in that role, he also died in it. Paul also says, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. You see, Jesus not only lived out the role of a slave, but he also died in the role of a slave. The cross has become so familiar to us that we often forget how shocking it is. But in the Roman Empire, crucifixion was so shameful and so low that Roman people didn't even want to talk about it. Cicero once said, Far be the very name of a cross, not only from the body, but even from the thought, the eyes, the ears of Roman citizens. The eternal second person of the Trinity, the one who is and who was and who always will be, the undying one, submitted himself to death. But not just any death, but the lowest and most shameful death that existed in the Roman Empire. Who thinks like that? Who sets out to do something like that? What kind of king or person of power would plan and choose to go through something like that? Well, Jesus did. He thinks about the good of his creation. He seeks the good of others. He serves others who should be serving him. Have you ever stopped to consider that Jesus did this for you? Our sin alienated us from God and left us liable to judgment. But God became a man and experienced that judgment in our place. He died a slave's death so that you could take the place of the innocent one, so that you could be made righteous as a free gift and be restored to friendship and relationship with the God who created you and loves you. Have you ever realized that Jesus did that for you? Have you ever realized that the cross was God's way of putting out His hand to save you? And I wonder whether you have ever taken it. I wonder whether you might take it right now. Though I might not be able to see you, God does. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And He went as far as crucifixion to save you. Jesus, the humble one, is ready to receive you if you will repent and turn to Him. Not only should God's self-humbling move us to repentance, but it demands that we, as lesser beings, humble ourselves for the sake of others. If Jesus humbled Himself for our sake, should we not also humble ourselves for the sake of others? If the second person of the Trinity chose to serve others, should we not lay down our rights and privileges and treat others as more important than ourselves? Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. 
when we know what Jesus did for us, it moves us to do likewise for others. That's why we should do it. But if, even after all of that, we are still too proud to become servants to others, if we are still too proud to accept God's grace toward us, then we need to know why we must do it. Why we must do it. We've looked at what we should do. We need to embrace a, a self-emptying life of service to others. We've, we've looked at why we can do it. We are now in Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in Him, you're in Christ Jesus, filled with the Spirit. We've looked at why we should do it, because Jesus did it for us. He died for you and for me. And now we're going to look at why we must do it. Why we must do it. Paul says in verse 9, For this reason, the reason is because Jesus humbled himself. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone in existence will bow the knee to Jesus. Whether angels in heaven, people on earth, even the dead, even demons, will bow the knee and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And this is why when it says, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's telling us that there will come a day where all of us will acknowledge, whether we want to or not, that Jesus is Lord and King. You see, if we do not humble ourselves now when we see what Jesus did for us, we will humble ourselves later when Jesus returns in glory. If we do not humble ourselves now when we're faced with, when we're told about all that Jesus has done for us, we will eventually humble ourselves, whether we like it or not, when Jesus returns in glory. Jesus is gracious, He's humble, He's good, He's loving, but He's not weak, He's not feeble, He's not begging. He is God. He is Lord. Jesus isn't asking us to serve each other as a church, He's commanding us. And if you are watching this, and you haven't yet personally humbled yourself and turned to Jesus, I want to urge you to go to Him. He's real, He's good, and He's waiting patiently for you to come to Him. But He will not wait forever. In Isaiah 45, God says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, truth is gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me, every tongue will swear allegiance. It will be said about me, righteousness and strength are found only in the Lord. But listen to this, all who are enraged against Him will come to Him and be put to shame. You see, we must recognize that God is still God. Even though He has humbled Himself out of love for us, He has not ceased to be the creator and owner of our lives. So right now, He patiently waits for us to turn to Him. He wants us 
to receive his mercy, to follow him, to obey him, to know him and his love. But he has set aside a time, a day, where our time will be up and we will confess that Jesus is Lord, whether it's our heart's desire or not. And if you haven't personally repented and called Jesus Lord, I want to call on you again to do that right now. It's as simple as just speaking to him. You can tell him, look, I, I, I turn away from my previous life of leading my own life. I thank you for what you did for me, Jesus. And I want you to lead me now. You can just speak to him. You can just pray to him where you are right now, whether out loud or in your heart. Tell him those things and he will respond to you. And look, if you respond to Jesus today, we would love to hear about it. Please get in contact with us online. We'd love to follow you up and encourage you and come alongside you in this journey of faith, in this journey of following Jesus. We need one another. And church, I hope you hear what God is saying through Philippians 2. He wants us to consider one another more significant than ourselves. He wants us to take up the mindset of Jesus. And He has given us everything we need to do it. So let's live lives of self-emptying for the good of one another and for the good of our world in this horrific crisis. And you know what? As it turns out, it's not the self-serving people who get the most out of life. It's not the people who seek after health, wealth, and prosperity who are the happiest. It's the self-emptying people who discover what life is truly all about. And nothing, not even a pandemic, can stop us from serving others. Let me leave you with this story from Philip Yancey, which powerfully illustrates what we've been talking about. He says, In my career as a journalist, I've interviewed diverse people. Looking back, I can roughly divide them into two types, stars and servants. The stars include sporting heroes, film actors, music performers, famous authors, TV personalities, and the like. In my limited experience, these idols are as miserable a group of people as I have ever met. In a heavy irony, these larger-than-life heroes seem tormented by incurable self-doubt. I've also spent time with servants, people like Dr. Paul Brandt, who worked for 20 years among the poorest of the poor, leprosy patients in rural India, or relief workers in Somalia, Sudan, Ethiopia, Bangladesh, or other such repositories of human suffering. I was prepared to honor and admire these servants, to hold them up as inspiring examples. I was not, however, prepared to envy them. But as I now reflect on the two groups side by side, stars and servants, the servants clearly emerge as the favored ones. They work for low pay, long hours, and no applause, wasting their talents and skills among the poor and uneducated. But somehow, in the process of losing their lives, they have found them. I hope that this message really encourages you, my brothers and sisters. Jesus shows us what life is all about. Who would have thought that we would discover that true life would be hidden in a life of self-emptying? Let me pray. Jesus, we turn our eyes, we turn our hearts to you right now. And we thank you for what you did. You are amazing. You deserve all the glory, all the honor, 
you deserve the name that is above every name. And Lord, we just want to declare and just confess and acknowledge that you are Lord. And we are amazed that you, the Lord of all, the God of creation, would humble yourself, that you would choose to become a slave and die a slave's death for our good. Lord, bring that home to our hearts today. We receive the good news that you have saved us as a free gift of grace through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Lord, I just want to pray for those who are with us online today, who have joined us the first or the second time. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would show them life in Jesus. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters, all the others that are in this church that are struggling, that are anxious. Lord, please have your way in them. Comfort them. May they know you, Jesus, the humble, kind servant. And may they be also comforted and encouraged knowing that you are also Lord and King of all. We give you our worship and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.